Some of you, uh, <clears throat> this is not your first time to sit uh, under the Heller <laughs> umbrella, so to speak. But uh, I am originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma. My wife is originally from upstate New York. And uh, we met uh, at a school in South Carolina. I'll tell you a little bit later where that is. Some of you probably already know. And uh, the Lord uh, did a great, great work uh, in allowing us to understand that uh, he might have us to someday be part of serving him. In uh, 1986, uh, the brothers and sisters at uh, East Tulsa Bible Chapel commended us uh, to the Lord's work full-time, and we've been pretty much doing that ever since 1986. Very thankful. Um, we have three children. We have 12 grandchildren. Uh, one is almost here. I think I just saw my oldest, so this is a happy time. It is really enjoyable to be with you guys. I've heard a lot about you and, uh, and looking forward to getting meeting and talking with some of you. Now, <clears throat> I'm told there was a little bit of some chatter. Has this guy been to heaven? <laughs> no, <laughs> I haven't been. <laughs> but looking forward to going, obviously. And uh, as uh, I was asked last year... Um, would you come and join us at the conference? And uh, probably uh, maybe a couple of uh, time, maybe a week or two, uh, Gabe called me and said, uh, John, as soon as you know what you want to speak on, let me know. And uh, so I'm thinking, yeah, that's about a year out. Um, so I felt, well, Lord, you know what we need. I, I'm just going to trust you. And uh, this seemed to be the theme that kept coming back to my mind. So um, some of you here last year, you saw the uh, <laughs> dreadful video of <laughs> the beautiful Lake of the Woods, how it will be frozen over and it will turn into a city of uh, 25, 30,000 people in the winter with ice fishing, which is incredible. Anyway, so here we are. Uh, I honestly was hoping <laughs> we'd be home in heaven and uh, we will be soon. I will uh, ask you, if you would, please, to uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, we see something of what the Lord Jesus Christ was uh, conveying, and not just uh, to those that were listening to him, but good information for us. And uh, I'd like to start out by talking on a subject that's near to the heart of the Lord with respect to what he's communicated to us concerning rewards. And um, as you are thinking about that, uh, I know there's several different responses we might have. Uh, I know I've been uh, in at least two or three of the groups that I'm going to uh, show here in just a moment. But uh, I think one of the, one of the highlights of uh, understanding uh, the value of being aware of the need that... Uh, the Lord would have us pay attention to is that this is the only time that I'm aware of in eternity that we will have this unique opportunity to do things for the kingdom of God. Now, that's a pretty broad statement and I uh, certainly would not uh, in any way cause us to think there won't be other glorious, wonderful, beautiful, neat ideas in eternity 
we just don't know that. We don't know what's in the mind of the Lord for the future. Uh, however, we do know that from what the Lord has communicated, our time here is extremely valuable, every single one of us. And uh, this, uh, this parable helps us to get a little bit of a view. It helps take that broad view of what is heaven all about. What, you know, I, I hear about it. Uh, people have different ideas about what it is. And, um, you know, there's sometimes I, I've even thought about it. I haven't heard a lot of just good old sound teaching about heaven. Uh, maybe you have, and I'm glad you have. But I thought, you know, that's where we're going to be spending eternity. Um, and the Lord has given us information to consider. It's worth, it's worth taking some time to look into it. And uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Now, like anything else, uh, heaven's one of those subjects that you hear it and we form immediately some mental picture of what we think heaven is. And um, we think about, okay, what, what's it going to be like? What are we going to do there? You know, uh, I, I hate to say it, but for a long time, because I came up in the last century, um, you know, I watched too many cartoons as a kid, and when anybody got it, you know, poof, they got their wings and a cloud and a harp and were kicked out into eternity, and that was heaven. And I thought, ugh. I'm not real excited about that possibility. So uh, it took me a while to uh, rearrange my thinking, and thankfully, God's word weighed in and helped me think a little bit more clear. But it's a very hard thing to try to convince somebody about heaven if they can't get an idea of what it really is or have some, something concrete. Now I'm going to diverge a little bit, and then we'll get back to Luke 16. When I was first being dealt with by the Lord, uh, I was uh, encouraged to go to a, a, a very conservative uh, Christian school. And uh, I was a raw recruit, uh, just fresh out of the world. Um, one of those situations where uh, when they came down to help me unload the luggage in my car, um, when the doors opened, nicotine just flooded out of the doors and some of the guys looked at me and I'm looking at them like, what? And they said, oh, you must have had a hitchhiker in the car. I said, yeah, <laughs> I did. Well, I wasn't quite yet. Um, the Lord had some work to do, which was obvious. But I went into school and uh, the first thing that uh, I did is I always liked to play practical jokes. Um, some of them were good, some of them were not so good. And uh, well, I had a friend, we had, there were four of us in a room, and I had a friend from Australia named Wesley Archibald. And Wesley was uh, about six foot six, skinny as a toothpick, but that guy could put anybody under the table eating. And you know, you look at him and you say, where is the food? Where are you putting this stuff? He could just shovel it in and, you know, I walk by the cookie jar and smell and I put on 25 pounds and I'm just thinking, Wes. So one day we were in the, our dorm room and looking around and just thinking and um, Wesley said, hey, John. I said, yeah, look, look at the wall in the back of the closet. And I said, yeah. He said, there's a gap between the back of the wall and the closet. I said, okay. There's a gap. 
He said, oh, I'll see her. And so he hopped over there and he took his long fingers and he pried the panel off. And sure enough, there was a space behind the back of the closet and the wall. And he looked at it and he said, hey, John. He said, do you want to have a spot of fun? I said, I'm always up for some fun. So he said, all right, let me see if I can get in here. So he did. He got up on the desk and he kind of wiggled himself right into the back of that. He says, now put the panel over there and close it up. And he said, let's, let's have some fun. Go get some people and tell them you've got some strange noises in this closet. <laughs> so I did. And uh, I thought, well, this will be interesting. And uh, we had a little system worked out. So um, I said, now, when I said stick your head in there, that was his cue. So I go out there and I look at people, anybody, I say, you, you guys have noises in your closet? They kind of looked at me like, mm, okay. I said, we got noises in our closet. Oh, come on. I said, oh, come on, let me, just give me a chance. Come in here. And so I'd be telling them, I don't know what it is, but there's a noise in this closet. And I said, stick your head in there. And about that time, Wes took the back of his fingernails and went down the back of the paneling in the closet. <laughs> They'd stop like this. <laughs> and they make different comments, you know, they were, they, they couldn't believe that I actually was on to something. And I said, yeah, I really think there's something in there. And I think, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, it's, I, don't, I don't know, should, should stuff like that be in the closet? He said, eh, it's, you know, it's probably the wind blowing the leaves or limbs on the building or something like that. And about that time, he said, well, stick your head in there again. That was the second cue. And the second cue was for him to moan. And he did. Oh. Boom. Right out of the door they went. And they went down the hall. So I've got half of the dorm up there. This is real, real smart, by the way, as you can tell. I didn't realize I was digging a grave, but uh, hey. So I thought, why not go for this dorm soup? So I went down and said, look, soup, there, there's something, something going on in our room. He said, yeah, I've heard it. You, you just need to cool it and get back up to your room. I don't know. I prevailed in any way. The uh, long and short of it is, is he got up there and he heard the scratching. He, he, he stepped back very casually. He said, squirrels. That's what it is, squirrels on the roof. We, did it, we were on the top floor. So I said the second time, well, stick your head back in there. And he did. And about that time, Wes did his, his famous trick. Ooh, okay. His head hit the hanger bar, <laughs> and out he went. And I thought, yeah! <laughs> well, that didn't go very well for me. Now, that's not the end of the story. And where I really want to drive is that night, my uh, neighbors next door um, were so rattled by it that they wouldn't turn the light off. And I thought, oh, wow, I really messed these guys up. This is, this is not a good idea. So the dorm soup said, listen, you need to go over there and tell them exactly what you did. They're still wondering. And, of course, one guy's, his bunk bed was right up next to the back of that wall. So he was having a particularly hard time. And I really feel for him now. I didn't too much at the time. But anyway, 
And, you know, when somebody's not sure of the facts, it's awfully hard to get them convinced, isn't it? When their emotions or their thinking is not spot on. And I sometimes wonder, when we think about heaven, there is such, there's such a breadth in the sense of a, a tremendous amount that's going to be involved in being there. Um, we sort of think about that and we, we tend to try to uh, picture it and think in our minds, what's it really going to be like? We have the normal questions that probably most people are mulling over in their minds about it. But I, I think what's been a great help to the Lord's people through, through the times that uh, they've had opportunity to have the word is just pay attention to what the Lord Jesus was using. And Luke 16 is one of those times that the Lord Jesus used something to get us thinking a little bit about the fact that we need to be focusing on um, the life to come. Yes, we, we know about this life, this all-so-consuming life that we live now. And uh, it's just like chop, 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 one event right after the other. And sometimes it's hard to even have time to think of much else, let alone some place that to us is so distant and so far away. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ would have us to be reminded that it's very real. It's, it's a beautiful system. It's a beautiful government. It's something like we cannot yet still comprehend, not necessarily that it doesn't necessarily exist or that it's not real, but what is it made? How does this thing operate? How are we going to operate in that? And um, so he gives us, he gives us a little uh, heads up. And so if you're in Luke chapter 16, just uh, look, if you will, with me, beginning at verse 4. Now, this is sometimes called the parable of the unjust steward. And uh, he's been called to account. He's been taking care of his master's business, but he hasn't done a good job. And he's got a lot of outstanding debts that he should have collected earlier. And his, uh, his boss is not happy with him, and he's, uh, he's been given notice. And you see in verse 4, it says, I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to him, First, how much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. And then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill, write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I want to stop there and just uh, um, focus on the shift that the Lord makes between the parable of the unjust steward and then he moves right into an application that uh, he wants us to, to pay some time considering. And that is, it's so uh, understandable to be engaged in this life, and no question about it, we have to be. We should be. We should be doing everything that we know we should be doing in this life. But the Lord Jesus Christ was comparing the 
preparedness of just the generation of this world uh, looking forward to a day in which they couldn't work anymore and making a comparison to the children of light who uh, sometimes um, don't necessarily think about what's coming. In other words, he's saying, I want to lift your eyes up, and I want, to, I want to direct your thoughts, and I want to direct your thinking to the reality that what you're doing now has, has implication for, where, for what is going to be in the days to come in heaven. There's lots of questions in that. I don't think we'll answer them all this weekend, but we'll take some good hearty efforts at look at how these things in time impact where we're headed. And I think that's really, I think that's the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in a harsh way, but in a, a, a great way to tell us that there are beautiful opportunities that he's willing to bestow upon those that are, that are thinking in terms of taking time now and converting time to benefit uh, in eternity. And so he takes something that's very, uh, pretty well common to everybody, and that's money. Uh, that's what the term mammon means, money. And if you look at it, you'll see that he's not necessarily uh, calling it evil or good. He's just, uh, the term unrighteous here is to be understood in light of the fact that money's all moral. There's nothing evil or wicked in and of itself concerning money. It is what is done with it, and that's the focus. What are you doing with the things that you have in this life? And that's really the thrust, and, and what he's saying here is, is that take these things uh, as, as stewards, as those that should be informed, and I think this is probably one of these Critical understandings is, is that this is going to come front and center when we step home. This issue is going to, to be one of the issues that we're going to be uh, taken up with. And really, in this sense, it's the desire of the Lord that none of us show up there and say that we're empty-handed or that I didn't understand that while I was here. These these These... To me, these teachings are extremely critical with respect to planning ahead. And this is what the Lord is saying. I, I want to call you to plan ahead. I want you to be thinking about a, being uh, in a time when you're leaving this planet and you're entering into the kingdom. And, uh, and, and, and as we'll see, uh, you, can, you then can understand some of the uh, difficulty that uh, I know I've had people to come up and talk to me about it, and uh, they said, well, why, why are you talking about rewards? That's, I mean, that to me is the least concern that we, we should have as believers. And, and, and in one sense, I can understand the question, and I understand a bit of the reason why the question is asked. For instance... Um, I've, I've had somebody come up and say, well, motivations for reward is kind of selfish. I don't want to be involved in something that's all about me getting more in my bucket. I don't think that's the attitude that the Lord is calling us to think about this in. 
The attitude that the Lord is calling us to think about is the opportunity to be motivated in a healthy way. And I think sometimes we think that it's maybe incorrect for God to want to motivate us. But if it's a motivation for our benefit, then that should change the flavor in which we view these teachings in the Word of God with respect to rewards. Rewards are in designed by nature to help us stay focused. And it's as we'll see here in a little bit, we'll understand that what God is inviting us to, to take into our, our, our thinking and to convert it into a way of life is, is that it keeps us from getting bogged down in this life. It helps us to realize God is calling us to lay investments in heaven. I've also had, and maybe you have other ones, and if you have some, hit me with them as I'm out and around and come up and say, yeah, you know, I've thought about this, and this has been a question. I probably won't hit them all, but he's, these are the ones I've had people come up to me and talk to me about. Well, I think it promotes a sort of a, an unhealthy atmosphere of competition. Listen, the competition is with no one else. <laughs> it's, there's no competition here. And we'll look at this a little bit more in detail tomorrow as we understand the basis and the way the Lord is going to reward. This is a huge subject. As a matter of fact, I was a little taken back to, to study on this and to realize there's a lot communicated to us with respect to what it's going to be once we get home. And so I felt, boy, if I'm a friend to you and the word of God is pretty strict in the sense of drawing a bead on a, an important area, and I say strict, not in the hard term, but it's, it's very precise. Boy, I, we want to encourage one another to keep this in mind uh, and to walk in a way that uh, helps us to uh, follow the Lord and to produce those things and that we can't produce on our own, but we can cooperate with him on. It's not a competition with anybody else. This is not a competition to be selfish. And we're going to look uh, again at a few others as we spend time this weekend. And then there are some that are discouraged, and I understand that. And they're saying, well, I'm not really doing anything. Not really doing anything at all. And um, we'll, uh, we'll examine that from a perspective that... Uh, I hope will be an encouragement, but that's a good confession if you can make that confession in honesty before the Lord. And I hope that as we look at this and think about these things, we will see the generosity of God and the goodness of God calling us to come into a secure, peaceful attitude about this whole thing. And that brings me to the next point. And that is, well, I don't want to start guessing what's rewardable and what's not. I don't want to be con concerned about, well, is that going to be a reward or is this going to be a reward? Uh, and so, in a sense, the tendency is just to chuck the whole thing because of the fear of, of, uh, of doing that. Well, that, that actually uh, is an attitude that can find rest as we begin to understand the kindness of the Lord and the things that he's gauging, the things that are important to him. 
and uh, the things that will set us at freedom and peace about this, this matter of living a life that the Lord can reward. And then finally, uh, this one, uh, well, my life's a mess. I'll just be glad to be there. And I've had lots of people tell me that. You know, I, I, I don't, you know what, I, I don't even think about, I just want to get there. And I understand that. I understand that. But I also would say, as a, uh, faithful, uh, a faithful advocate of what the Lord Jesus Christ would want us to consider, we don't have to let that get in the way of ruining opportunities to be useful and to be rewarded in heaven. And uh, we'll take more time as we go through this weekend to talk about that. Don't worry, I'm going to talk about uh, going to talk about the millennium. I like to talk about the new the new heavenly city, Jerusalem. I like to talk about eternity. Uh, for some, this will be a little bit of a review, but for many, perhaps, you will see a blueprint of what God has laid out and how this all is going to unfold. Uh, we won't be able to answer everything in detail. But I think it's exciting to look, and it means something to God to tell us beforehand what's coming. I mean, that's important to him. So I've been at peace being able to say, you know, it's not wrong to go all in on this if this is something that the Lord would have us spend the right kind of time thinking about and allowing him to do the work in our lives that he'd like, like us to do. And I'm sure many of you are. Uh, and I hope all of you are. Uh, maybe some of you can't because you're not, you're not one of his. You, haven't, you don't know him as your savior. And so this is, this is all brand new. It's kind of like, wow, dude. <laughs> I, yeah, we're, mm, man, this is, well, um, we have enough of life to understand the value of, of awards. We all get it when, um, I don't know who your favorite sports teams are around here, but Kind of hard. You know, being from Oklahoma, you know, the Oklahoma Sooners for a long time had a, had a pretty, pretty good winning streak. And I saw a bumper sticker on one of the cars going down the highway and said, it's awful hard to be humble when you're a Sooner. And I thought, uh-oh, that's a sheer sign they're going down. <laughs> well, it happens. They, they, they aren't. There's still a team, I guess, but uh, I'm happy to see other teams come up and uh, have a shot at uh, winning and, and playing good football. Anyway, we understand the system of reward. We understand the investment. We understand the idea of a moment where everything is set aside and there is a, a time for recognition and honor of jobs well done. Job well done. That means a lot to the Savior. Job well done. So these are, these are beautiful, beautiful things. Um, I, I think as we think about this, uh, I, I, I just like to simply say that, and many of you are aware of this, but the concept of rewards is not just unique to the New Testament. Uh, I think about a man that uh, was used by God to pen a good part of the early part of scriptures. And uh, his, his comment was this, he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. That's Moses. 
He was looking ahead to his great reward. I think of uh, the psalmist, David, and he brings this up in Psalm 19 and verse 21, and he says, keeping God's statutes, in other words, holding God's word, brings great reward. Now, we could, you, could, you could say, well, I mean, he's talking about now, and that would be absolutely true. But if you go through and you, you, you just categorize the times that David spoke about things that God will reward his people for, you begin to realize, like Psalm 16, he said, that in the presence of the Lord there is joy evermore and pleasures everlasting. Now, if you stop and think about that, you know, and, and we're kind of tempted to think, I don't know, there's people that are not excited about going to heaven. I understand that. I don't necessarily agree with it at this particular, but I understand. And a lot of it's because there's just not the kind of understanding that God has given us in Scripture about what is really important. But stop and think about that for a moment. Joy everlasting and pleasures forevermore. And I say this in the wholesome sense. Who created pleasure? He did. So I think of it in the sense that it pleases him when his people are happy. It brings joy to the heart of God when his people are joyful. He wants that for his people. And so when you read through David, you'll see that. And it's, it's encouraging to see these individuals that God uh, picked to pen scripture and to tell us what he was thinking about with respect to the life to come. Again, Solomon confirms it. And uh, he says in Proverbs 19, 17, Who, Whosoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. And I tend to think the reward doesn't just stop in time. It, it moves on into eternity. And if we take the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the evaluations that he has made in life with respect to the life to come, we know that what we do now has an impact on what is coming then. I think uh, how Paul looked at it too, and he, he reinforces this, and we would understand that now because we're back in the New Testament time. And uh, as we think about these things about Paul uh, helping us to think in terms of these rewards and, and how much they are designed to be part, part of our lives and part of eternity, we begin to realize that these things all embrace a mindset. And Paul's mindset is such an example that he said, don't beat the air. Don't fight as you're fighting the air. Have purpose. And the only way we can have purpose is to understand how it is that God is going to account with respect to rewards. And he says, these are the things that I would ask you to consider and to think lots about. And that's what Paul was admonishing and, and really teaching and uh, encouraging us with. And then... Um, uh, the Lord Jesus himself. I, this, this couldn't be a more direct statement. 
And uh, this is the passage in, in the encouragement in the sense of our treasures. Lay up treasures for yourself where moth and rust and thieves cannot break in and steal, where moth can eat and rust can, can tear away. But lay up treasures in heaven. And that's what I, I think sometimes as we think about the term heaven, uh, it becomes such a broad thing in our thinking that it's hard to put maybe specific handles on it. But these are some of the components that are, that are very important for us to understand. And uh, it's, it's worth our time to consider the blessing of what it means to take what God has given us in this life and uh, use it in the intent in which it was given to take care of needs. It's also intended, there's, there's obviously, there's, there's things intended for pleasure, for rest, for enjoyment, but then also to be able to think in terms of taking those, those things that God has given us and using them to be a, a blessing to others and to encourage others to think about eternal realities. It still gets people's attention today when you're generous in a healthy way when they feel like they haven't done anything to deserve it. It still speaks. And that is one of the beauties that the Lord is encouraging, I think especially in Luke chapter 16. Uh, and this is really kind of an interesting thing. If you're, if you're still there, just look on down um, at verse 9. It says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting homes. Now, that's not an easy passage to digest if that's the first time you've looked at it. But if you stop and consider the context in which he's dealing with, and again, the Lord is not commending that we go out and uh, um, we, we do what this guy did. The, the commendation here is to think ahead and to think with a respect to prepare for when you're going to leave this life and you're going to enter into the next. It's very, very important. And so he says, take what God has given you, which is, and I'm, this is the Heller paraphrase, take what God has given you, allow that to Touch people's lives. In other words, your, your action, your whatever it is that God has given you, allow that to build friends for you. And the friends are not necessarily in time alone, but eternal friends, people that have been impacted by your life. People that have poured into uh, their lives and they can look back and say, if that guy or that sister, that individual hadn't spent the time with me, honestly don't know where I'd be. I feel that way about some people in my life. And I know most of you could probably say the same. There have been people that have invested in you, that have poured their life into you, and you are going to be eternally thankful to them when you get home. And what a time to be together. What a time of beautiful camaraderie and, and being 
together in the most important cause of all time and eternity. Home in an environment better than the garden. That just still blows my mind. So as we think about these things, what the Lord is saying, when you pass on, that's, that's the failing. That testimony of your giving, whatever it was, of the things of this life, they're going to be waiting for you as you travel home, and they're going to receive you with everlasting joy and that sense, I'm home. Heaven is home. Heaven is where you know you belong. Heaven is that, wow. No more fear. No more isolation. No more dread about what so-and-so, or if this and that and this, or, or and, and all that's done. I'd like to just quickly um, make a comment now about the generous nature of God. And on this, I'd like to close. If you would turn with me to Mark. And I want to be careful with this. I, like you, I'm... I, I, I don't like unnecessary speculation about things we just don't have good solid evidence on. I don't think it's wrong to dream. <laughs> but it's, you don't want to set up something that's not really from the, the word of God. You don't want to try to make something uh, stand as that's the way it's going to be unless God's very clear about it. So uh, as you would be, I, I, I am the same way. I, I, want, I just want, I want the facts. I want the truth. I want, I want what the Lord wants me to get a hold of, and that's where I can hang everything I have is on his word. I can believe him and rest in him. So in uh, Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, we come across an often thought on passage of scripture. And I say that, because as we think about this area, uh, it's good for us to consider the character or the nature of God's generosity. And so Jesus answered and said, I'm at verse 29 in Mark chapter 10. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This captures my thinking, and the reason it does is because the Lord is, he is giving us a view of his nature with respect to the things that we're willing to forego and yet be able to forego and do it in a happy spirit. I think there's, 
There's, that's quite a process of growing and maturing, but it is a blessing to be able to learn to give and to let go and to enjoy the attitude and freedom that a servant's mind, a servant spirit has. And this is one of those areas where as you begin to think about it, you begin to, uh, you begin to think, at least I think in these, in these, uh, these categories, the people sometimes, if it's done right, that are the happiest are the people that have given up the right to worry about themselves. And I say given up the right. It's natural for all of us to be concerned about how we're doing and what, what our life is like. But there's also something that the Lord would have us to think about a little bit here. And, and he wants that freedom for us to not be so consumed with how things are going to turn out, with, but rather that we adopt his thinking in respect to, I've got your back. I've got you covered. And it's not so much, well, when this happened, this didn't happen. No, it's, it's the attitude that God can form in the heart of his people. That's the greatest miracle on this planet outside of salvation is the work God is doing in your heart and in mine. If he has your character, look out. That's the blessing. And we'll learn more about that as we spend some time. But he would say, and I just want you to know how I think about what it is that you're willing to do. And of course, and I understand, there's, there's some schools of thought here and I don't want to butcher those. I don't want to run heartlessly over them. I'm aware of them. I just want to focus though on the generous nature of God with respect to lavishing rewards. Now, you've, you've probably had people do this before, and I'll do this in just a moment, but uh, as you begin to think about these things, listen to the admonition of Scripture. Be happy about it. Well, it's sometimes not always happy to be happy about being persecuted. And um, we, in this part of the hemisphere, we're... we're, we're starting to get the feeling that, whoa, boy, there could be some persecution here. Unless you personally have, and I'm not aware of it, and there could very well be people in here, but there, it's not easy to be a believer in, in many parts of this world right now. It's costly. And the Lord understands that. And that's why he says, for great... A great award awaits you in heaven. Remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, on a happier note, I love Matthew 10. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. I love that. He doesn't say, I might slice a little bit of the end and give you a sliver of what he's getting. He says, you're getting a prophet's reward. And some of us are going to be blown away when we get to heaven and we find out, how did I get that reward? 
Lord, how? And we already have a foretaste of it. Insomuch as you have done it under one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. These are good things to be reminded of, aren't they? It's good to see what he values. It's good to be stirred in a healthy way, to realize that he's, he's watching it all. And this, this can have a tremendous impact on the way we think and the way we respond to different situations. And what it'll do is it will multiply fruit. I think of these things, and, and the same with receiving a righteous man or a righteous woman. And, and apparently there is a sense of reward in that, that the Lord is going to give for those that pursued righteousness. Not legalism, righteousness. The fruit of God's spirit producing things in that person's life. You see, you and I tend to look like, uh, oh man, fruit, yeah, boy, you know, go down to Del Monte and look at all the fruit they produce. Boom! When I went down to Honduras years ago, I looked at little stubby uh, growing plants on the ground, and I said, what on earth are those? And it says, don't laugh at it. That's dole. Those are pineapples. They make millions and millions of dollars out of those guys. So sometimes in our thinking, we think, oh, I've got to produce. I, I mean, if I'm not just going right and left, and it's, it's not to say the Lord isn't able to bring a bountiful harvest, but the Lord is saying the fruit that you see and what I see sometimes are not the same thing. I value fruit differently. Sometimes, and I want you to know that. That's why he's saying rejoice. You think the persecution is going in the opposite direction. I just want you to rejoice. Good things are going to come of it. Even so much so that if you give a cup of cold water, I mean, it, isn't that amazing? The Lord says, I notice things like that. And then, as we've been looking here, I assuredly say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife, children or lands for my sake, and I'm in verse 29, and look at verse 30, who shall not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Now there's a link there and I believe that link is on purpose. And this statement, I don't think, can be necessarily separated from this little clause of God's generous disposition to reward his people. I think sometimes we tend to look outward and see the things that are external or hear of certain things and say, oh, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm not really... I'm not really on top of things spiritually. And of course, we want to be sensitive to the, to, to the work and prompting of God's spirit through his precious word in our lives. But he's saying, look, here's, here's, here's how I want you to think. 
even a cup of cold water in my name. That is something I don't take lightly. And if you take these things, not to, to extrapolate this as a principle that applies just in this particular situation or to ignore the contextual constraint of this particular passage, the focus is on the generosity of the character of God. And I love this. He says a hundredfold, and you've heard it before, and I have too, and we say, okay, yeah, you know, I've heard the story. Okay, you ask a young guy, uh, a young lady, how, what would you rather have, 100% of $1 or a hundredfold of $1? And sometimes they're scratching their head, and they're, you know, they don't know. We all know the answer. If you've been around, you've heard the illustration. And you've heard some figures, and and. Perhaps someone, I'm sure someone's done more than I have at this thing, but I thought, you know, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. Okay, three and three is six. Six and six makes 12. Put down the two, carry the one, and so on. Now, I'm not saying mine is accurate, so don't hold me to task on this. But let's say uh, you start with something, and uh, by the time it's 15-fold, it, it's, uh, it's 32,720. That's 15-fold. That means it doubles. So every time you make a move, you double what you have. So if you start with $1, you double it's 2. 2 is 4. 4 is 8. 16, 32. 32, 64. Well, by the time you get to 15, you're at 32,000. By the time you get to 20-fold, you're at 1,047,000. By the time you get to 31-fold... Pardon the double L. I was feeling quite generous, so I threw an extra L in there. I was getting really happy at the return rate here. You have 4,288,692,224. By the way, I checked this with somebody online just to see if I was in the ballpark. And I'm close! By the time it's 40-fold, 1 trillion. Now we're talking the U.S. deficit territory now. Yeah, 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 we all are tracking, aren't we? <laughs> Think about that. 40-fold, we're not at 100 yet. By the time we get to 50-fold, One quad trillion. You say, how big is that number, John? That is a thousand trillions. We're at 50-fold. Now take that to heart. Think about what he's communicating. Let your soul feast on the character of a holy God that loves you so much. I honestly believe the thing that will blow us away when we see him is the intense love that he has for every single one of us. 
and we're going to fall and say, beautiful Savior, my God, beautiful, glorious. Now to me, maybe this isn't what you look for, but I think because this is where the Lord spent a good deal of time helping his disciples understand this is for real. And these are the things I want you to start thinking about. Preparing your mind and preparing your spirit to understand that I have commanded this. It's not, it's not John Heller's idea. It's not the elders' ideas. It wasn't a bunch of bishops years ago who came up with this. This wasn't the early church fathers. This is God's communication straight to us for blessing. He's allowing us to join him at a period that will equal no other period, and I don't say that equal as in majestic, as in the most important phase is called time. It's a little bubble in eternity. And God has chosen to put you and me here and he says, I know there's a lot of muck out there, but look at what my son is able to do. And he's done it for you. He went in, cleared the scene. He cleared the debt by his agony for you on the cross. He's given you a new you. And some of us say, I don't know, I don't feel so new. You will when you begin to realize how generous he is and what he said he's, he's done for you and what he said I've laid out in my word for you. Come and taste and see if the Lord isn't good. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake in the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Now, you and I may, may struggle a little bit with accounting how a hundredfold now in this time. I mean, John, you're at 50-fold and you're telling me that's a thousand trillions. I don't see that. Maybe, maybe the beauty of this will become extremely important and apparent, obviously, as we step home. Boy, it's good to be here, isn't it? Isn't it good to just let God speak to us through his word, minister to us, to encourage us, to cause us to begin thinking in terms again of maybe maybe this is this is something you've thought about but maybe said ah oh, I don't know man I there's too many other things in life and I understand that but there's hope and part of that hope is fixing our thoughts on God's thoughts and realizing that every purpose of God has been fulfilled and no purpose of his will ever be annulled.
And that's a quote out of Daniel chapter 4. So as as we look at this uh, tremendous benefit and beauty of the Lord, I pray our hearts will be stirred. These things will be received in the very depths of our being and it will renovate our thinking. And as that is the case, God will give us the encouragement to move out in faith. And don't worry, it's not all about, okay, I gotta, gotta, you know, I gotta, go out, I gotta go to the spiritual fitness club every morning and, blah, 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 you know, and do all these things like this. God is taking us a step at a time and he's molding us and part of the reward is going to be the character we're allowing him to build in our lives. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for being who you are. Never before have I thought about your holiness and how wonderful it is, but Father, I'm so thankful you're a holy God. You're reliable. You don't change. Is there anybody more happier than you? You are able to give to your son joy above all the hosts of heaven. And so, Father, we pray that you would just help us in this busy time frame we're in, this, this particular point in history. Father, turn us to the Lord Jesus. Turn our eyes to yourself. And let us look at what you've promised and who you are, the beauty of your son, the beautiful Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you in his name. Amen.